In today's podcast, I wanted to elaborate a little on my post from yesterday afternoon on the state of the docket and to recount it for those of you who haven't read it. The point that I made was that the court really was facing considerable difficulties in filling its docket. The court needs four more cases basically to fill its February argument calendar. It then has to fill the March and April calendars. And there really is not enough time between the conferences of the justices and the arguments in those calendars to actually fill them up uh, because there isn't enough time to brief them. The problem really arises from the fact that the court has, by not taking terribly many cases, and that's either consciously or inadvertently, uh, sort of painted itself into a corner so that there's no room to have a shortfall in grants. The week that they don't grant enough cases, that means the next week they really have to start expediting cases. And this entire term, they've been in the uh, position of constantly having to expedite briefing in cases almost all the time. So in the very short term, I do think the court today and next Thursday, which is the last conference before the winter recess, won't have trouble finding four cases uh, to grant. And I'm not actually suggesting that they're looking for four cases, but I think it's inevitable that there will be four grants uh, on those two conferences. Um, I think the court's very likely today to grant 06157 Grace versus Freedom from Religion Foundation, which is a petition of the Solicitor General about taxpayer standing in establishment clause cases. I think that they are very likely to grant on December 7th um, uh, a case called League and Creative versus Leather Products 06480, uh, which presents a a uh, question about vertical minimum resale price maintenance uh, that the uh, court is looking to whether over, to overrule one of its own precedents, and 0585 Power X versus California, which is a case about the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act that the Solicitor General has said that they should take. There are two, so that's three, and there are two others. Um, uh, there's, I think, uh, the the that have a, two others that have a, a quite substantial chance. The question in 06306 Sawicki versus Morgan State University is something the court has looked at uh, before and I think may have some interest in, or 051157 CSFB versus Billing, which is how you plead an antitrust case involving securities claims, though there it's possible that the Supreme Court will simply hold uh, the cert petition pending its decision in the Twombly antitrust case. But I think it, from those five, at least, and maybe others, they will get at least four cases. But that's really going to be a temporary fix. And the court fundamentally is going to have to decide what to do with these four cases and with the next cases that it grants. Because if it does take these four cases and put them into February, the post that I've written points out, then when they come back in January, they're really going to have to fill all of March. And the court, in the 10 years that I've been sort of watching the docket, has never been in the position where the January conferences were used to fill March. They have always, worst case, when there's the biggest docket crunch, been used to fill April. 
uh, and there would be no conferences left to fill April. And so there is the uh, a very serious problem confronting the court about how to how to fill out the argument calendar, assuming it wants to do that, and it may not. But the particular thing that I want to do in elaborating on that post was talk for a second about um, CERT in general and give a few thoughts on what's going on in terms of what the justices are trying to accomplish with the CERT docket. Eighty percent of the CERT grants, as I've pointed out in an earlier podcast, really do involve an attempt to resolve a circuit conflict or a conflict between state Supreme Courts and federal courts of appeal, some effort to bring uniformity to federal law. And the justices are quite rigorous in looking at whether there is an actual circuit conflict uh, rather than mere confusion and will avoid granting CERT if they can. But if they can't, I do think they really do feel an obligation to bring uniformity to federal law. I think they do that for two reasons, one of which is not uh, actually accomplishing something and arguably has some downsides, um, and the other of which is, is probably meritorious. The one that is not actually working, and to my view actually may be uh, a, a bad thing for the court to focus on, is a norm of bringing national uniformity to law, and that's actually the one that most people think is most valuable. Um, the idea that the law shouldn't mean one thing in one state and another thing in another state, uh, so that similarly situated individuals or companies or governments are treated differently uh, under the same statute or constitutional provision, that I actually do think is a useful uh, norm that we ought to have uniform federal law. The difficulty is that the Justices may not realize that that is not working, that the number of circuit conflicts dramatically outstrips the court's ability to keep up with them, uh, so that the court is actually taking sometimes relatively trivial circuit conflicts to resolve them and uh, is not actually bringing uniformity to federal law. It may be resolving one narrow conflict, but the court's opinions frequently give rise to other circuit conflicts because of the broad issues the justices sometimes tackle. So if the justices are tackling a circuit conflict in an important area of the law, well, then that's certainly useful. But just to resolve circuit conflicts, no matter how silly the legal question, is probably not a useful endeavor. Um, my, the thing that I think is affirmatively unfortunate about it is that I think even the Congress takes the view that the Supreme Court will resolve circuit conflicts that arise from ambiguous federal statutes which Congress constantly enacts. And I think a dynamic has arisen in which the Congress sort of shunts off to the Supreme Court responsibility for creating clear clear law. There are lots of times where decisions in the Congress can't easily be made and a rough compromise is reached instead to leave a question in the statute unanswered. And then the Supreme Court steps in and resolves the conflict, but it's not resolving it on any constitutional principle. It's resolving it based on its best guess of what Congress intended, which is a rather fundamental shift in the balance of power in government where the Supreme Court is doing the best it can. It's guesstimating what Congress wanted when frequently Congress isn't making a decision. And I personally would favor an approach in which some circuit conflicts, even a substantial number of circuit conflicts, when they uh, got to the Supreme Court, if it's in a bad vehicle or there's some other reason not to take the case, that the Supreme Court would flag 
the question presented for the Senate and House Judiciary Committees so that they could resolve the conflict rather than um, the Supreme Court having to step in and just taking their best guess about what Congress wanted to have happen. The other, the second reason that the court, I think, uses circuit conflicts is because they need some way for the law clerks, who are, of course, the, the screen in the cert process, to make recommendations. And if you just tell law clerks, conservative and liberal law clerks alike, who work for ver- justices who have very different views, tell me the cases that are most important and the cases that are wrongly decided, you're going to get very divergent views because there are value judgments that are behind those kinds of determinations. And so the nice thing about a rule that says to the law clerks, write us memos about cases involving circuit conflicts, and that, that is that that's an objective criterion. And I don't know, given that the justices have to confront 7,500 cert petitions a year, that there's a better solution. One better solution is probably to have a more efficient screen for the 80% or so of cert petitions that are totally hopeless and totally meritless. Every cert petition, and it's a, it's a nice thing in, in concept, every cert petition gets a substantial measure of process in which it gets evaluated by a pool clerk, it gets looked at in all likelihood by one of the Stevens clerks, Justice Stevens not participating in the pool. But there is a misallocation of resources that comes with that so that if um, truly meritless um, cert petitions could be screened out by some office or by uh, a set of clerks designed uh, so two law clerks look at uh, cert petitions and if they both say we think it's absolutely trivial then we don't have to go through the hoops of writing a memorandum about it the court could potentially focus better on uh, the cases that deserve more attention but nonetheless um, I think that the it's possible that this semi-crisis in the court's docket will cause a re-examination of the way the court is looking at granting um, uh, petitions and the way it's shaping its docket. But in general, I think that's unlikely. The justices are much more focused, and rightly so, probably on the merits cases that are in front of them, and the docket happens somewhat by happenstance. It will be very interesting, though, to see how they resolve this problem of not having enough cases to fill out the argument calendar. The Chief Justice has gave the impression in his uh, confirmation hearings, and it's natural to think, in light of his background as an advocate, that he is concerned about the docket and wants to fill it out. But he, of course, only has one vote. There's really not that much the Chief can do. It takes four justices to agree to hear a case. And so um, it's going to take some collective Uh, steps by the justices in order to resolve this issue.